Welcome to Project Update, a weekly podcast about the projects we're working on and the missions we're completing. I'm Dave Ramsey. And I'm Joe Simpson. How's it going this week, Joe? Oh, pretty good. How's it going with you? Doing really good. So we have a little bit of follow-up about the Apple event that happened last week. We're going to spend the next four hours talking about every feature of the <laughs> hardware that we immediately bought. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do any of that. There's lots of podcasts for that type of stuff. Um, mainly what I wanted to follow up on was the AR stuff that we talked about last week and the fact that we didn't really see anything about that specifically during the event, although there's been the rumors continue to kind of circulate on Twitter um, as some more stuff has surfaced in the GM about AR stuff. And yeah, nothing really to say, nothing that changes development for anything I'm working on. Um, but yeah, nothing yet. I don't know. Was there anything from the event that changes the way that you work? No, it, it was pretty much all iOS stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's that doesn't have a substantive impact on me, at least at this point. Yeah. The only thing that really affects me and to some degree you is the weird software release schedule this year. Uh, so iOS 13.0 is shipping this week on Thursday, September 19th. And that is the version that nobody understands why they're shipping other than it's probably already on a bunch of phones that they've already manufactured, but it's bad. No one should use that. <laughs> um, it's full of bugs. It's full of issues. It's full of missing features as well, which isn't as bad as just how unstable and awful it is compared to 13.1. And it's also, if you're working with Swift UI, don't even bother because so many things are broken in 13.0. So then on September 30th, 11 days later, apparently they're shipping iOS 13.1 and iPadOS. And that's the version that I've been running the last couple of weeks. I think I'm on the second beta of it. And hopefully they get that straightened out. There's still some issues with SwiftUI. And particularly on iPad, some of the features that are working well for me on iOS are not working that well or even crashing on iPad. So there's some stuff like that. And then I uh, Mac OS. This is the first year that I can think of that they haven't given us a date for Mac OS at the September event. Huh. Usually it's like a week or two after iOS. Sometimes it's been a little bit more. But yeah, there's no date. It's just sometime in October. Um, uh, some people are kind of worried that people who upgrade to iOS and they upgrade their reminders database are going to be in a bad situation with working on the Mac. But from what I found when I reset the devices early in the beta cycle, if you have one device that's not in the right reminder format, it doesn't let you do the conversion. So I think they have it covered that if you upgrade to iOS 13 now, you won't be able to use the new reminders features. Basically, you can use the new app, but it'll still work the previous way without the new features until you update your Mac to Catalina. I think that's the way it should work. But I don't know. I would 
tend not to want to update until I can do everything at once. Although I'm the worst person to ask about this because I've been running betas <laughs> for months. Yeah, and I am very much a trailing indicator on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll have uh, the new Mac OS running somewhere, but it won't be on my primary machine for six to nine months. Yeah. Um, primarily because uh, I use a lot of older apps. Mm-hmm. And this is the 32-bit apocalypse for Mac yeah. OS. And I'm, I'm going to give all the developers that I work with as much time as humanly possible to fix that. Yeah, the only thing that I can think of that doesn't work right now is Call Recorder. And they have another version in the works. They just haven't. They just don't release any betas, um, so they'll probably be ready as soon as macOS is ready. But the current version of Call Recorder that I have doesn't even open. <laughs> so I've been recording my side of the track with uh, QuickTime for the last couple of weeks. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, sounds about the same, just slightly less convenient. <laughs> Anyway, that's kind of it for follow-up. Um, I guess we'll kind of keep our eyes on the release schedule. Hopefully, we'll hear something about macOS soon. And hopefully, we'll hear something about AR soon. If you have any follow-up for us or any questions about the show, you can find each of us on Twitter. There'll be links in the show notes, as well as project-update.com contact. So what have you been working on this week, Joe? So I have made a ton of progress in lots of little areas and i'm really starting to think of my app as the sum of its parts because it's become very easy to spend an entire day working on a tiny small feature and kind of forget about the big picture which is fun but i also need to think about the big picture as well um so i've spent most of the week really I guess I have every main screen that I'm going to have in version one that I know of now anyway. Some of them are just placeholders. Some of them have a little more than just a nothing to see here text on the screen. Um, But most of them are working. I've got multiple list views and detail views and edit views and modal windows and all kinds of alert dialogues and pickers and stuff like that. Everything can, is kind of getting there. And you can like move between them and navigate mm-hmm. and awesome. Yep. Yeah, there's still some work to do. Um, like making sure... Like the version I have now is kind of a minimal... You can do some data entry and save things and move on. But I also want to do some extra stuff like you can edit this record from over here. Or you can also open this edit mode from over here. Things like that. Um, Just so the user doesn't have to bounce around the app in too many different ways. So I'm still running into some Swift UI issues. Some of them are bugs and some of them are just things that aren't available in Swift UI yet. So a good example of a bug is and this is just something that annoys me about iPads in general. 
But if you open an app that uses a master detail layout, whether it's SwiftUI or UIKit, and you open that app in portrait mode, it just shows you the detail layout, which as the default. And I don't know, there's been the default for years. I don't know why. I don't know who thought that was ever a good idea. <laughs> but you can see if you go open the mail app with your iPad in portrait mode, it will just show you basically an arbitrary message, mm-hmm. even if it's not selected in, in the master list. And I, I hate that behavior. There's nothing I can do about it in Swift UI to stop it. There's workarounds in UI kit to get around that. But usually the user just has to tap the little back arrow to go back to the list or to pull the list over. Only it's not available. It's just not showing up on the iPad. It shows up if I rotate the phone on on the iPhone, but it's just it's just not there at all. Oh, on this layout. So yeah. And I've tried putting my own button there and dismissing the view. That doesn't actually re-invoke the list view or anything. So yeah, it, at this point, you can still like swipe over from the edge of the screen to show, <laughs> but most people don't do that. So it's just a weird thing. I, I reported a bug about it last week, um, which kind of feels like yelling into a black hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, lots of little things like that. But there's lots of other features that just aren't there yet, like convenience things or would be nice things. So for example, when I open a modal view to do data entry, I want to, for lack of a better term, tab into the first text field on the layout. And you you usually do that with setting the first responder for a layout mm-hmm. in UIKit, but that doesn't exist yet in Swift UI. So you Wait, you can't. what? Yeah, you just you just can't the user has to tap in there themselves. Same thing with like when you're editing a field and you can show that little X on the side to clear the contents. Uh-huh. Can't, I can't have one of those yet. Um, these are all things that I could create workarounds for, but I'm probably just not going to, mm-hmm. at least until way later in the project. Um, another one is grouped tables. Group tables work, but iOS 13 has a new style for them that everybody gets except for Swift UI. So they're shipping a version of UI kit and a version of Swift UI with different group table styles, <laughs> which <laughs> drives me nuts, both as a developer and a user. Like I, I don't want to see two different types of default grouped list styles. That's not good. Particularly if you're using that on two different kinds of views. Yeah. And it's like even one worse. app that can have both. Yeah. Oh, that'd be terrible. But it kind of reminds me of the days when the iOS 6 to 7 transition happened and some of the apps that hadn't been updated still showed the old keyboard where like they were using enough default controls that the styles looked different, but the keyboard looked like the version that was shipped with iOS 6, things like that. It's just, I don't like those kinds of inconsistencies. And then another kind of weird one is the the large title navigation that you can see in navigation views. Um, you know, it's the large title that will kind of scoot up out of the way when you scroll. I can't change the color of that in Swift UI. Again, just lots of little things like this that I, w- I know how to do all the stuff in UI Kit. Some of some of this I can't actually go out to UI Kit to do this. That one I looked into, but it's just too much of a pain. 
because yeah, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> it, it's so, a bad idea. So it sounds like Swift UI 1.0 isn't really a good iOS 13 citizen yet. Not yet, no. It's got, you know, MVP versions of everything that Swift UI can do, it seems like. But a lot of things, a lot of features just don't have their alternate versions or additional settings available yet. So, yeah, I've been kind of keeping a growing list of things to revisit and things to try again later or things to do workarounds for if needed. So that's been fun. And then there's been a longstanding issue that we've talked about pretty much all summer. Um, so there were, I guess I'll do a quick recap. There were two issues I was having with list views and editing, one of which is fixed and one of which is still driving me insane. <laughs> so when I tap an edit button and put a list view into edit mode, uh, I can show a little edit button on each field and pop up a modal view when you tap it. When you dismiss that previous versions of Swift UI and iOS 13 would no longer allow you to open additional windows after that, or they would open reopen the window with the data not being passed correctly. They fixed that in iOS 13.1. So they fixed that one. The other one is this weird edit button. So when I open a modal view, that little edit button at the top that's toggling my table into edit mode, you know, mm -hmm. it says edit, you tap it, then it says done, hit done to leave edit mode. That button stops responding to taps after closing in a modal view. But it's not the edit button itself. It's it took me a long time to figure this out. It's any button in a navigation view in the little button bar accessories on either side of the navigation view. Those just bork after closing a modal. So I I sent this long, wordy, super ambiguous bug report to Apple last week. Like even, even as I'm writing it, I'm like, this is not a very good report because <laughs> here is this issue that happens some of the time randomly, but only under these very strict conditions, but very randomly. And then on top of that, so if I, for, for, well, I guess it doesn't happen on the iPad at all, which is what got me down, you know, troubleshooting this issue again. I, I was building on the iPad last week. Hey, my edit buttons are working properly. Oh. So I switched back over to the iPhone. Nope, they're still broken over here. But then I realized on the iPhone, if I tap like really hard, they'll work. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like Swift was like, no, tap it like you mean it. I'm like, oh, okay. That's an episode title. Yeah. So tap it like you mean it, or sometimes like a long press will trigger the button. And sometimes just randomly scrolling around on the screen. So it's like these these buttons are just not registering taps. So I, I started throwing that into the view debugger and found that sometimes, but not always, the layout will draw the touch target for the edit button nowhere near the edit button. It shows a little square frame of where you're supposed to be tapping or where it's drawing itself to receive taps. It'll draw the frame like down into the left 
away from where the button is. So the word edit is over here and the frame is somewhere else. But that also happens inconsistently and only on the iPhone. And not every time I run the app, and not every time I open a modal, and not every time I close a modal. Yeah, it's just really inconsistent. Is it possible that the tap it like you mean it is pressing hard enough that it's shifting your touch target just enough to clip the edge of that button? Uh, that's what I thought as well. But the sometimes it doesn't work when the frame is in the right spot anyway. And this is also happening with other types of buttons. I thought it was just the edit button, but I made some other buttons to throw in those regions and they do the same thing. And if I pull any of those buttons or the edit button outside of the navigation bar, they work just fine. Mm. So yeah, if they don't get it fixed, there will not be any navigation buttons in my app. <laughs> Like the regular back button always works just fine. But other than that, like having the uh, the button, the edit button or the done button or the cancel button, those will all have to move somewhere else, which would really break with the platform conventions. So mm -hmm. I don't really want to do that. So, Did you update your radar? Yeah, I gave them all kinds of information and sent them screen recordings and screenshots. And yeah, they've got all the information. I don't know that anybody will ever see that because I've, I've filed probably 30 radars over the years and never received a single response. So oh. yeah, I really feel like I'm just wasting my time when I do that. Like <laughs> I actually feel bad. Like I should be playing a video game or taking a walk. This is a waste of my time on this earth. You, you know, it's worse than that, Joe. What? When you do receive a response from them and it basically acts as though they didn't ever read the bug in the first place. Yeah. I mean, as like far the as one I know, where nobody I, ever has. I, I had a bug, sent them sample code. I was like, all you need is this. Here's a project that does it. This should work. It worked in six. It doesn't work in seven here. And, you know, nine months later, I get an email that says, hey, there's a new version of iOS out please confirm that this is still broken. And I'm like, yes, it's still broken. Like, why did I have to tell you that this radar has not been resolved? Yeah. Like you should have a unit test or something for this. And it should tell you that this button press takes 10 seconds, 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So this, this stuff drives me nuts. Yeah. I've reported several bugs about Swift UI and haven't received any responses. Um, don't really expect to because Apple doesn't seem interested. They are fixing stuff. The, the thing that really bugs me is just, it kind of draws into question Apple's release notes. So every beta version of Xcode and iOS, they've got release notes of known issues and what's fixed. But a lot of the issues that I've seen over the summer have not been in that no, known issues list, but they yeah. have been fixed. So did they know about it or didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> they found out about it and fixed it within one release cycle. But they didn't put it in the fit into the yeah. fixed issues stuff either. So it was just never acknowledged. Yeah. So this week I've got more stuff to fix with the UI and I mentioned last week I need to get started on the cloud kit stuff. So 
This week I'm going to try to get the cloud kit syncing working between devices. And basically I, I want to get the app to a point where I can start keeping my data in it consistently without doing what I'm currently doing, which is delete the app to reset my core data store and reinstall it. Um, so I want to kind of finalize the core data schema, make sure I've got everything I'm going to need there for a while, and then get the CloudKit stuff working. And then this morning I wrote up a quick punch list of stuff to do for basically a, a an early beta version because I want to get a test flight put together and get that out to people as soon as possible. So I need to kind of stop doing what I was doing last week, which was like, kind of self-indulgently really spending time on specific layout for a long period of time and like getting all of the features just right. That's stuff I need to do for version one, but it doesn't have to be there right now. So like, you know, adding things like haptics and better animations and, you know, tap effects and stuff like that. I need, like, I can geek out over that stuff endlessly, but it's not critical to getting something out into the hands of people to start testing. So this week I'm going to try to make myself focus on the cloud kit stuff and then the minimal UI to get it out there into test flight. I don't know that I'll get it into test flight this week because I've never used test flight. I have no idea what that even entails. So yeah, stay tuned for that. <laughs> so one last feature, one last quick topic. I wanted to touch on doesn't have anything to do with this project but it's something that a past version of me had done a favor for yesterday joe and i wanted to thank past joe <laughs> so in december of last year a customer hired me to do a bunch of uh make a bunch of credit card processing features for the website and we turned most of it on last spring for making one-time payments, but they also have a scheduled auto payment feature, but they didn't want to activate it until this year in September. So I, in April of last year, I forget the exact date, but I had written myself a long note of instructions of exactly what to do and why it wasn't activated at the time and what you know where to go to turn the features on. Then I recorded a video of it and then I put something on Twitter mentioning that I had left myself a note for the future and that I would reply to it if I did. And then this week I get a reminder from myself from <laughs> you know five or six months ago. I was like, hey, here's what to do this week. And I was able to do everything in like two minutes yesterday morning and get it all working and tested. Now the feature is active and I'm like, hey, thanks, Joe, from the past. So very time delayed notes, but the video was really helpful. So I'm going to do more of that. Joe's tickler file. Yeah. Anyway, that's kind of my update for the week. What have you been doing? Uh, I made some really good progress. And one of the primary contributors was the release of Borderlands 3. <laughs> nice. <laughs> In which I made progress as well, but that's secondary. Um, I've been having a hard time not consciously thinking about antler <laughs> nerd <laughs> well it's 
it's a problem. And so this thing just keeps kind of turning over in my conscious brain and distracting me from whatever I'm doing. And I wasn't getting anywhere. And then Borderlands 3 came out and I started just playing a lot of Borderlands. And really the only time I can think about Antler at that point is during loading screens. <laughs> um, a loading screen would pop up and I'd try to read the little tool, little help tips at the bottom and stuff like that. And my brain would start going, but what's going on with this thing? Why isn't this working? And, and what's going on? And literally this morning, I woke up early and just started pounding out some code. You so when, woke up early? I woke up early. Like how early? Uh, like 9 a.m. Wow. And uh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, got some some really good stuff knocked out in just a couple of hours. Um, and the trick was getting really comfortable with an error dialogue. Okay. Um, the error dialogue is the one that FileMaker brings up when it tells you that you've named a field badly. <laughs> um, in FileMaker, you can legitimately name a field using logical elements. Oh, no. <laughs> like, I can name a field, substitute, open paren, stuff with quotes, close paren, and that's a valid field name. But FileMaker raises a dialogue and says, hey, if you do this, you're really going to make your life more complicated. Mm -hmm. And that's when it uses the escaped identifier function, which is dollar sign, open curly brace, the name of the thing, and close curly brace. And that's what has to appear every single time you try and reference that field. You effectively have to escape the field name. And... FileMaker brings up this dialogue that warns you and tells you all the things that can kind of mess this up. And I just spent, I like, earlier this week, literally spent like an hour just staring at that dialogue. <laughs> and kind of internalizing those rules and, and trying to see how the pieces fit together. And now I've got some antler code that covers 90%. Hmm. Of what that dialogue says, don't do. Um, so, to give you an example, if I want to name a field Dave and Joe with no spaces. Okay. That's a valid field name. No problem. If I say Dave period and period Joe, also completely valid field name. But if I say Dave space and space Joe, mm -hmm. that gets escaped. Yeah. And so in that case, FileMaker is then seeing the and as a operator, not as text for the field name. Yeah. And this and, is just a weird oddity of FileMaker. They have an ampersand and operator and an and operator. Yes. An and and operator yes the and operator is the logical and and the ampersand is the concatenation operator mm. um so um i've now got code that can 
properly parse all those variants of Dave and Joe. Like properly see this is how this is and this is how this is. And when you close it in the curly braces, this is how it works. Um, which is great. The biggest limitation to this code at this point is that it's not properly structured if I need to validate calculations. Okay. Okay. So when FileMaker is exporting this stuff into the XML, FileMaker has pre-validated the calculation. And so with a pre-validated calculation, I can parse it. But this code isn't necessarily going to help me when I get to the down the stage line where I want people to be able to edit calculations within the application. Mm -hmm. And so, and again, that may be two years down the line, honestly. So I don't have to worry about that right now. I was hoping to come up with an answer that would work universally, but it's just a bit too much for me to bite off right now. So I'm not validating calculations when I'm doing this, but the parsing is starting to work, which is great because mm -hmm. the, there's all sorts of ways. Like you can have a space operator in a FileMaker field name. Or, I'm sorry, not a space operator, but a space character. Spaces in the names are perfectly valid. So I could have Dave, period, and space Joe. And that's not only a valid name, but it's one name. It's one field name. And so I, I can handle that now, mm -hmm. which is great. So my next step is digging into variables. Uh, FileMaker variables are denoted with a preceding dollar sign. And so a single dollar sign is a local variable and two dollar signs is a global variable. And like with any luck, that's not going to take me more than about 10 or 15 minutes. Yeah, that part's that easy. In. Well, I, it, it should be. It is possible that that's going to break the whole thing. Well, it's also the people who do dollar sign space name of variable or dollar sign name space more name. Right. That type of stuff. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, I got to note that one because I forgot which, about that one. For the record, those are bad people. Yes. As a matter of fact, dollar sign space is a valid variable name. And so is just dollar sign. Dollar sign space is the variable name you use to troll other developers to mess <laughs> up their code. Actually, I think dollar sign space really just ends up being treated as dollar sign. Anyway. Um, and then after that, I have to get into the ones that I was kind of most concerned about to begin with. It's just too much pre-work to get to there, which is the let and while functions. Yeah. And in the let and while functions, in portions of those functions, the equals sign is used for assignment to variables mm -hmm. not as an equivalence logical yeah. operator however there depending upon the structure you can actually have the equal sign appearing multiple times in a line and the first time it's used it's assignment and the later times it's used it's logical yeah 
And so it, it totally makes sense when you write these calculations every day, but when you don't, it it's baffling. Yes. So yeah, you can make these local calculation local variables in let statements and now while statements. And there's no syntax to denote them like with a dollar sign with the local and mm -hmm. global variables. And some people just use a tilde or some other character to consistently name them, but that, that doesn't actually do anything with the, with the parser. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I could have a, a line of text that says, um, Joe is awesome equals Joe is super awesome equals Joe is super awesome. And that would be a valid statement. <laughs> My example was going to be A equals B equals C. Ugh. And if B and C are both one, A is true, not one. <laughs> um, so yeah, this, this next part is going to be exciting, but... Uh, I had to get through this initial part to just be able to find what are the pieces and then I can start looking at how the operators change function depending upon how the thing is structured. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Identify the variables. Do the let and while stuff. Which, at this point, may be just about the only functions that I have to explicitly define within this grammar. Mm. Um, I was, I did a ton of work. I, I built the list. I started aggregating which ones, which uh, FileMaker standard functions have only a single parameter versus multiple parameters versus no parameters and was building the stuff to identify all of that. and was like, this doesn't help me. What about the ones with the optional parameters? They have like one or one or more required yep. parameters and then the bracket notation for optional things like uh, get layout object attributes and things like that, where you're basically just passing in an enum value. Mm -hmm. So in Antler, you can set a, a single parser rule to match multiple patterns. Okay. And so I did that with sub with substitute. Substitute can either replace one value with another, or it can replace pairs of values. Find this, replace it with this, find this, replace it with this, find this, replace it with this. And those are structured differently. And I had code that was identifying that. That code's now all been commented out because for my purposes, that doesn't matter at this point. Hmm. Um, it, it may come back later. But the trick was that I was going through and building all this code to identify all the standard functions and make sure that they were structured properly. And that's important, and I'm going to need that at some point. But the problem that I was running into was that, okay, I've identified all the standard functions and how they're supposed to be structured, but I still can't properly identify custom functions. Like, identifying the edges of things. You know, I could have a function named Joe. And so... Joe open paren something is functions, but Joe and open paren. Now the open paren is a precedence operator, not a function call. 
And there doesn't even have to be a space between the and and the open paren. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm back to having a thousand things swirling in my head. But <laughs> one of the things has been removed. The first oh, nice. thing on the list is off the list. So now there are 999 things swirling around in my head. <laughs> Take one down, pass it around. <laughs> nice. Um, so. Um, so back to Borderlands. Uh, no, actually, I'm probably going to go straight back to variables. And if I can get the variables, then I'll start on let. Because I don't just want to sit there and swirl on nothing. Mm-hmm. I want to narrow it down to a single problem. And when I get stopped again, that's when I go back to Borderlands. Nice. And finish a couple more missions. And then hopefully the solution will appear in my head appropriately. So this is an interesting side topic. When you play games like this, do you at all associate those games with the project or other stuff outside of the game? Um, like a year from now, if you were to pick up Borderlands 3, would, it, would parts of it remind you of this parsing problem? No. <clears throat> um, I get that with music. Okay. So there are certain points in coding when I can when I can safely listen to music without starting to type the lyrics as code. <laughs> um, and, you know, the the initial version of FM Perception was written almost entirely to uh, three different albums from uh, the artist Girl Talk. Mm-hmm. It was just over and over and over again. It was that, you know, two two and a half hours of girl talk just kind of looping over and over again for weeks on end. Yeah. Um, and so that will always be associated with that project as it started. Nice. There was even a point where I started uh, putting those in my acknowledgements on the about screen. <laughs> um, so for me, I, I play not a lot of games, but more than some people, I guess. But I, you know, right now I'm playing through Breath of the Wild Master Mode, and there are parts of the game that remind me of stuff I was working on the first time I was playing through it a couple of years ago, both from a work standpoint, but also I listen to, when I'm playing a game like that that doesn't have a real intense story, I'll listen to a podcast at the same time. And there are entire sections of the map that just remind me of specific episodes of cortex or hello internet or (laughs) like just you know one-off jokes that have been carried from episode to episode it's just kind of an odd experience so like uh, one minute i'll just be you know sitting on the couch playing this game and i'll come over a hill and remember something that mike hurley said on cortex two and a half years early like okay that that was weird (laughs) That's that's closer to my music experience because yeah. what I was listening to while I was doing something else with my brain. Um, the antler thoughts are much more behind the scenes. Like I'm I'm not consciously thinking about it while shooting bandits. Yeah. 
Um, it, it's usually when I'm playing a game that I tend to solve those kinds of weird problems, though. Like I will kind of, mm-hmm. I will often end the day with a weird problem to think about, and either that evening while I'm playing a game, I kind of think of the answer, or more commonly, the following morning on my morning walk, things just start to fall into place. And then on the list of things that I need to do is in order to, I, I think what the structure that I've got now will work in multiple languages, which is helpful. The only problem is that I need to generate a list of all the valid characters in all the supported languages Ooh. in upper and lower case. Um, Japanese, Chinese, and Korean are going to be problematic. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm well, going to just need to find an online reference someplace that's got all the characters because these aren't, they, these aren't special operators. They aren't white space and things like that. Though I will need to capture differences on things like um, in some of those languages, FileMaker still uses and A and D as the, the logical operator. So even in like Japanese, in some cases, and is just the operator. Um, in other languages, like German, I think, uses a different not. And OT is different letters in German. And so when those characters come together to form an operator, I am going to need to catch those explicitly. And I've got some code to help me do that. Wow. Um, so that won't be too difficult. And the cool part about that is that's on my kind of uh, um, meat brain list. It's like this is not computationally complicated. It's a research project. Yeah. And so I'm just going to need to sit down and run around the net and find language references and things like that. Like honestly... I don't honestly know if Japanese has upper and lower case. I mean, kanji? Uh, I think so. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about kanji. I have a friend you could ask. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And some of the research may go that direction. I've also got FileMaker developer friends that I can I can contact and just kick a quick email off to. Mm-hmm. Um you know, people with enough Japanese and English so that when I talk about upper and lower case, if their base language doesn't have that construct, they'll still understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> but yes, if they have both upper and lower case, I'm going to need that as well. So yeah, that one's big. Yeah. But it's not necessarily complicated. Like I know exactly how to accomplish it. I know what the steps and operations are to make that happen, and that will work. I don't have any doubts about that. Operators in other languages, slightly more complicated, because you can't just ask Google what is and in Japanese. (laughs) Because you'll get an answer, but that doesn't mean that that's what FileMaker does in Japanese. So I may well need to generate a list of these operators in English, and then send them off to my people scattered around the world and have them come back and go, well, this is what FileMaker uses for that. Yeah, every time you talk about your problem, I like my problems. 
And every time you talk about your problem, I like my problems more. Like my problems suck, but they're not what you're dealing with. My problems are solvable by me. Yeah. Mine are mostly self-imposed because I decided to jump on super early version of an unstable development framework. See, that starts to sound like my problems then. <laughs> it's not my development framework that's unstable. It's the the XML format. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. A year from now, we'll have everything will be better and we'll have new problems. Yes. And those problems will be awesome. Mm-hmm. And we'll have great episodes from that. Yeah. I mean, in all seriousness, like it is kind of an awesome place to be in life where the worst thing I'm dealing with in life right now is Swift UI. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. My life has been pretty bad at times over the years, but the last couple of years have been pretty good. Yeah. Beating your brain against a brick wall, it turns out is just not all that rough. Mm-hmm. Of a life. Like, yeah. It's still a tough problem, but yeah. Anyway, do you want to spend the next two hours talking about Borderlands? <laughs> uh, I totally could. I can just um, leave this running and, and go for my walk. <laughs> we'll save that for another time. I haven't gotten to the end yet. It uh, seems to be a little more difficult than some of the previous ones. A little more challenging. Hmm. So... I keep bumping into boss battles that just suck. Nice. Yeah, like I mentioned, I started playing Breath of the Wild again recently in master mode. And it's it's a very different game than the regular version. <laughs> I watched some of your video online. It was just like, oh. Yeah. Oh, oh. it just, I mean, I, I have difficulty with the normal battles. I'm I'm not ready for master mode. Yeah, it's pretty intense. It It's very much a stealth game if you want to play it that way. So in the regular mode, I will basically, you know, sack any village or take any encampment or whatever just for fun. Like all those little monster camps scattered around the world where they grab a little treasure chest. I'll go get all of those. In master mode, I just avoid everybody all the time. Just like... Most of the fights are just not, it's not that they're unwinnable, it's that they're not worth it. You end up breaking more weapons than you get or consuming too many healing items. And I'm at the point now where I'm strong enough to win most fights relatively easily. So it's it's becoming more interesting with the first part of the game is basically just sneaking around. Yeah, I'm, I'm currently struggling with a boss that uses both fire and cold damage, which makes him resistant to both fire and cold damage, (laughs) which is my two primary elemental damage types. Oh, nice. So I'm running around in circles trying to find lightning weapons and some corrosion weapons, and maybe that'll do a little better. Or just, I need lightning damage to take down the shield and then physical damage to handle the normal body and i'm not finding the lightning weapons that i need Hmm. it's kind of weird that i've got an entire database of many 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 video games that i own and have access to and pretty much all i play is breath of the wild and a little (laughs) bit of vr stuff um yeah the the description that i've come up with 
is um, comfort food. Yeah. Borderlands is one of my comfort food games. And so if it's close enough to being Borderlands, I can just switch off my brain and just play and be just contentedly happy to just run through it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it just, it's like meatloaf. You know, it's very difficult to make, wow, meatloaf. But meatloaf always tastes good when it's decent meatloaf. Yeah. I mean, I could, I could play through a custom version of Breath of the Wild without any of the adventure stuff, any of the story, get rid of all the weapons, all the enemies, just let me hunt mushrooms the entire time. I would play that for 100 hours. I've, I've done that for a couple dozen. Like, <laughs> mushrooms and fish and... Mm. Oh, yeah. I got good at catching fish by swimming. Yeah. Just swim up on them. It's also yeah. how you get good with the bow is just shoot fish. I like to throw the grenade in the pond. <laughs> get a bunch of fish at once. I didn't even know that worked. Oh, yeah. That was, that was one of the first things I did in the game since I got that little bomb skill. I'm like, I bet I can go fishing with this. <laughs> just remembering a specific episode of Stargate SG-1. <laughs> 